You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. And the Kings able to spring Kupari into the zone here. Kupari, score! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Turn over to Dano Kempe. Stick to skate into the zone. He'll button hook back. Center for Bjornfoot. Bjornfoot deeks to the outside. Slings it in front. They score! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. When it comes to a starting lineup, everybody loves the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with superior skin care that the pros love, LA Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-size intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25 in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination of the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at getjackblack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. It is Monday, and that means it's time for another weekly recap, this time with Zach Dooley. It's time to crown another King of the Week. But first, it's time to bring you our conversation with Jordan Nolan. Jordan has returned to the LA Kings organization as a community relations consultant and ambassador, and he sat down with me and Daryl Evans. Joining me now, former LA Kings, current LA King, Jordan Nolan. How are you doing today, Jordan? Yeah, doing well. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. And sitting in with us, Daryl Evans. How are you doing today, Daryl? Absolutely terrific, Jess. So, Jordan, the news came out that you have uh, rejoined the fold, uh, come back to the LA Kings. Uh, how did that start? When did that conversation begin? Yeah, really. Um, you know, last year I spent some time with um, the Pittsburgh Penguins organization, and we had a new baby at home. So my wife kind of wanted me to to get home and kind of you know start looking at other options in my life and my career. So I uh, reached out to uh, Kelly, and we just had some some quick conversations, some texting here here and there. But um, yeah, it took a while for it to come to come together and, and talk about what I was interested in and and what I was looking forward to doing in the next part of my career. So. Um, really just kind of came together the past few months and you know, I couldn't be more excited to be here. How does fatherhood change your focus and interest and do you think you'll bring any of that into your new role with the Kings? Yeah, it's it's been, um, you know, it's definitely been a real, a pretty amazing, you know, um, when I went to Buffalo there, we had my first daughter, um, which is kind of crazy because my dad coached there for so long and you know, to, for her to be born in Buffalo is pretty special to us. And then this past year, you know, we had my daughter um, in St. Catharines where we live right now. But, yeah, I think everything before this was kind of about myself and my wife and kind of, you know, enjoying our life and, and doing these things, spending time in L.A., going to, to Santa Monica and Venice on our off days. But now you know, everything's about the kids and really going forward with, with our life and our career choices everything's kind of is creating the best life for our for our daughters and really that first skate i did with blake the other day at, a, at one of our events is you know an all-girl event and i'm just thinking you know now that i have two girls it's uh definitely even more special to me doing, doing those kind of things daryl you not only have a daughter also a dad also heavily involved in in the king's fan community how important is it to have a a a feeling of something larger than yourself outside yourself when it comes to that kind of work. Well, I think it's great, you know, and, and I think, you know, like Jordan now, you know, you, you become a, you know, a, you're a young father now, you'll get a greater appreciation for that. I know sometimes when we've had some of the young guys come out and uh, help out in community events, it's, you know, they're, they're not quite on board. I think the minute they have children, it uh, it really opens up di- different uh, different chapters in your life. And uh, you know, it, uh, you know, I've seen your in- interaction uh, over the years uh, when we were doing, you know, events back before, and I think you're going to be great. I think you're going to you're going to step in, and because you are now a father, uh, that the ability to be able to communicate with that younger generation is is going to be a key for you. Uh, but it, it uh, it's one of those things. It's uh, it's so gratifying each and every day to go out there and and, and uh, you know connect with the youth uh, you know with the with the future generations uh, of the world uh, just to see what's going through their heads and, uh, and and you know what we can learn from them i mean they're learning from us but in in a bigger way we're learning a lot more from them i should have uh, said this at the start but uh, your new role with the team is community relations consultant and ambassador um you you have an interesting background, right? You you come from an NHL family, right? Your your dad is Ted Nolan. 
Um, but you also come from a community that maybe isn't well represented within the world of professional hockey. Was that a challenge for you straddling those two different worlds growing up? Um, you know, we never really saw ourselves as a hockey family. Um, obviously my dad's, you know, had a successful career there with the Sabres, but you know, once that, you know, kind of ended, um, we weren't, you know, sitting around watching hockey games together every night. We weren't talking about hockey. We were just your average family, you know, go, go see movies, go play board games, watch hockey here and there. We obviously loved the game, but it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't life to us. But um, but growing up, for sure, you know, my dad was, you know, heavily involved in my career and, you know, watch every practice. Sometimes we didn't play too well, you know, um, <laughs> you know, he'd let me know for sure. <laughs> but um, but growing up, you know, my dad obviously had a different childhood than I did. You know, he's, he was been through a lot, um, you know, lost his parents at a young age, created the Rolls Nolan Foundation, but giving um, giving money back and, and scholarships to young native women. So that's something that's been stuck with him his whole life. And as myself, and my brother have gotten older, you know, we started the three known hockey camp, um, visiting first nation communities and just kind of given a little bit of our, our knowledge and giving a little bit of hope to some of these kids, you know, it's not all about hockey and, and playing in the NHL. We just want to create, uh, good leaders for our communities. Um, and really just kind of teach them that, you know, anything's possible. And, um, you know, like my dad, my brother and I were all from a small first nation community. We all managed to play in the NHL and now we're trying to, to give back a little bit and, and, and show our kids that anything, anything's possible. Do you have any hope to, to grow that same spirit in the LA Kings community? I mean, it's, it's obviously a, a diverse and a, and a bit of an, outlier in terms of being so far away from the center of the hockey world right we don't have backyard ponds or or uh you know shinny games in in you know in in the, in the late fall but are you planning on, t on bringing any of the things you've learned through those experiences with your family to uh to the kings and and to the like the we are all kings initiative for example yeah definitely i think um i think you know being from where i'm from and the communities that we visit right now and just picturing myself as a young man, just you know, seeing a hockey player, seeing someone who looked like me, come and come to my community, and just really just interact with me. Not so much, you know. We're not teaching the kids, you know, how to stop and start and how to be, you know, extra competitive. We're teaching them how to have fun in the game, how to give them just a really fun experience, something that they'll remember forever. You know, when we when we do these visits with my family, you know, we just want to leave a lasting impression. We want the kids to just have a blast so coming to LA that's what I would like to do with uh with the kids and give them really just something they'll remember for the rest of their lives so just taking the extra time to spend some time with them and talk to them down and you know just really just you know have them make sure they have a great time my experience with you prior to today was as a fan seeing you out there uh, number 71 and uh, I considered you an intimidating uh, imposing force you brighten up the place just from what I've noticed uh, seeing you around here lately yeah, um, you know, I definitely had a little bit different role on the ice. Um, it didn't really come natural to me. Um, sometimes it took a took a big hit or, or something happened in the game to kind of to take it out of me. But um, but yeah, I'm a lot different than than how I was on the ice for sure. But uh, but no, I'm excited to be here and interacting with people, and I like you know I just like hanging out and and getting to know everyone. Let's flash back to uh, the start of your career with the Kings. Um, the first time you hit my radar was uh, when you and Dwight King were called up um, in February of that of that 2011-2012 season. I'm curious, Daryl, when did Jordan Nolan first hit your radar? Well, I was familiar with Jordan, uh, you know, especially <laughs> sure. uh, you know because I played against his dad in that. And uh, when Jordan, you know, was part of the organization and you know tracking the guys and coming up, and when they got that opportunity in February, it was it was great to see. And they brought an element, uh, you know, to to the lineup that. Uh, it, maybe we were missing, and uh, it uh, it was it was magical. Like you could just start to see things starting to happen out there, and it, it just goes to show you that how everybody is different in so many different ways. Everybody has to bring something to the table, and uh, those guys did, and especially for the older players that were around at that time, they provided that youth, that energy, and that that spirit and that spunk in the game. And it uh, it really helped light up the, you know the, the veteran players. So it was a great chemistry that was built there. And 
you know, from the physical standpoint, uh, you know, Jordan, uh, you know, I, you're a great skater. You got a good shot, um, you know, and then the physical element, you know, to be able to play and have that kind of flexibility in your game uh, added to your value to the team. Uh, and I know with Dwight, you know, from, you know, with his, with, with his heavy play, like, Puck protection was so big with with Dean Lombardi and that back then, and you guys did an incredible job of that. You used to wear down the opposition, and uh, you know I remember the teams coming through California. You know they they talked about it all the time how how heavy that we played, how big that we played. And it wasn't that we were running anybody through the building; it was just the, you know the heavy play that we played. And it was because of guys like Jordan and Dwight. They came in all of a sudden. You've got a couple of more guys that are 225, 230 pounds in your lineup. That wears on you, especially when you're my size, and uh, it takes its toll over the course of a game, and it paid dividends as we went on to win our first uh, Stanley Cup uh, in franchise history. Picked up more than one, Jordan, a seventh-round draft pick. Did you ever have any, uh, I mean, obviously you dreamed of it, but did you ever think realistically that you'd wind up with three? No, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I was drafted as a 19-year-old, um, seventh-rounder, like you said. But looking back in my career, I don't really remember thinking when I was 16, I was, okay, it's my NHL draft year, I need to have a good year. I was really just kind of having fun, maybe too much fun, maybe that's how I was drafted. <laughs> but um, but I, I went through a few drafts, and then there's a point when I was 19, and you know I talked to my parents, I said, okay, like, I got to either go to school coming up, or I got to start committing myself a little bit more. So uh, when I was drafted, I always had strong belief in, in my game. I just need to put that work behind it, so... I think everything kind of worked out the way it was supposed to. You know, I got drafted to L.A. and came into a team and a general manager who kind of believed in, in me as a person and as a player and liked the style that I played. And once Daryl was hired, <laughs> everything kind of uh, came together. You know, they came down and watched me and Dwight, and, and we got that call. And ever since that moment, um, I kind of never really felt at ease. You know, I always knew I had to bring my game and play, bring that intensity but um, but yeah, I think it was just the perfect storm of everything kind of coming together. We've heard uh, maybe horror stories is too strong a word, but we've heard lots of stories about uh, trick questions or surprise questions that they throw at you through the draft process. Did you go through that once in your 18 year and then have to go through it again in your second year or or had they already got a book on you by that point? Um, I don't think really I wasn't on anyone's radar really you know when I was 16 I think uh, the Islanders came around and handed out a booklet of questions um, and since then I I had didn't talk to any teams I remember LA coming to watch a couple times um, I believe I got an invite to um, the Toronto Marlies after my 18 year old season so I joined them for uh, for a couple weeks and they said if you don't get drafted and I think we're going to sign you so I was really excited about that because, you know, being an Ontario kid and being close by. But um, as soon as L.A. drafted me, uh, it was definitely a little bit of a surprise. My mom was a little nervous because she wasn't sure, you know, it's being so far away. But, I mean, as soon as we got out here, she came out here, and it was just, uh, just wow. You're, uh, that first season, you, you mentioned Daryl Sutter gets hired, and it sort of changed the tone of the team. How he's, uh, he's got a very deliberate speaking style. Uh, was that a uh, a culture shock, not only being brought up to the NHL, but also being thrown uh, directly into the Daryl Sutter world? Um, you know, it wasn't too much. He's, he's very direct. Um, you know what he ex expects from you. Um, you know, you have to work hard every day, and you're not going to have any nights off. And really, growing up, you know, that's how my dad was. He he wanted you to work hard. He wanted you to, to have fun. And he, um, if you didn't play well, he was letting you know. But... Um, so it wasn't it wasn't too much of a shock for me. Um, maybe my dad was a little more uh, personal than he than he was, but um, <laughs> but no, he just demanded a lot. And really, as a young guy, um, that's probably what you wanted. Obviously, there are a couple of times he butt heads here and there, but he he was always honest with you, and um, you know you definitely uh, you definitely worked hard. If either of your girls came to you and said they wanted to play professional hockey, what position do you see them excelling at? Uh, I don't know. Maybe my my daughter, my Quinn, the oldest, she might be a, a skilled centerman, I think. And my youngest, Harper, she might be a, a bruising defenseman. She's got a little more. <laughs> she's got a little more bite to her right now. But um, but yeah, I'm not sure. I took my first uh, dance class them last week, so um, we'll see what route they go. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it.
Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Flew by. It was quick. Uh, best yeah. of luck and uh, welcome back aboard. It's great to have you back in the community with us, and we we'll look forward to doing a lot of events with you. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited for sure. All right, it's time to do King of the Week. Joining me now, Zach Dewey. How are you doing today, Zach? Jesse, doing great. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, Zach. I really am. Well, um, <laughs> listen, uh, you and I, I think, have uh, th- this King of the Week is going to cover all manner of sins, Zach. And I was thinking a lot about this over uh, over Halloween, my favorite day of the year. I'm not sure that you actually know that, but my favorite day of the year. Wow, I, I did not. It's my favorite day um, of maybe, the year. Maybe you're the King of the Week. Well, for having, I, I was for having your favorite day. I feel like I was the King of yesterday anyway. Um, because peek behind the curtain. Well, anyway, I won't tell that story actually, but I may have saved the day for somebody else's Halloween. There we go. uh, That's an assist. assist. It is a huge assist. Zach, I think, I think you and I have a very good professional relationship and a very good rapport, but I think that you and I don't necessarily have a tremendous, uh, off the ice relationship show it's not though it's bad i just don't know that you and i uh we don't know each other as well as as i have known some of the previous frequent contributors to all the king's men and and you probably don't know me as well as some of the people that you've collaborated with in the past and so i'm gonna try and change that zach i want to try okay. and uh, i want to try and gauge you a little bit more show you a little bit more of who i am and hopefully we'll find out a little bit more of who you are all right. Um, and I know I'm probably making you intensely nervous while all of this, but I say all this to tell you that I'm I'm excited and enthused about the week that was for the LA Kings because it started out as a real bummer. Um, I don't think I'm surprising anybody by saying that the Kings start out with an 0 and 3 loss to St. Louis. Um, then they give up a lead to Winnipeg. They stretch the losing streak to what was that? One, two, three, four, five games, six games, six games. Um, and with the injuries, I think a lot of people will be forgiven if they were clutching some pearls, um, you know, tugging collars and, and wondering what's to be done with this LA King season. And it's two games. There's still plenty of time left for the season to go either way, but a win against Montreal and then a win against Buffalo in back-to-back games has put me in a really, really good mood, Zach. And not just the Kings, but the Ontario Reign also won back-to-back games. They did it on the road against Abbotsford. So now that we're doing out, handing out King of the Week, um, I'm going to try and make this a very energetic, enthusiastic, and happy King of the Week. Are you with me? Are you coming with me on this journey? I'm 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 energetic about right. this weekend. <laughs> I mean, it. it's good when you go two and two that the the two are the final two. Yeah, because you certainly leave that two and two feeling like you're going downhill, not like you're climbing uphill. So I'm I'm feeling good. I'm Let's feeling do good. it. All right. So we're going to start with honorable mentions, and we're going to give them to Sean Dersey. He scores uh, four points in one game against Abbotsford. It's the first of their back to back wins. They won the second game in overtime. Uh, but the first game in convincing fashion. And Abbotsford seems like the best team that the Reign have played so far. Maybe that's because they've played them four times already. But two Might of those, be. yeah, two of those games have gone to overtime. And Abbotsford seems real good. So uh, so congratulations to Sean Dersey, uh, the honorable mention for this week's King of the Week. Then moving to the main Andy, roster. I want to give you ahead. an yeah. honorable mention to Sean Dersey's honorable mention, which is that he had four points all in the 5-2 to two win mm-hmm. on Friday. On Saturday, we're going to give the honorable mention to Sean Dersey's face, who took <laughs> the high stick there you that go. led to both of the rain regulation goals. So while he did not get a point, he was the recipient of a high stick that led to the power play that led to Martin Furk and Jared Anderson Dolan scoring. So that's an influence on six of seven regulation goals. And nice catch by you. I appreciate it. So nice catch by Sean too. (laughs) That's right. His mug. I'm going to give you um, runner up honors, Zach, and I'll, and I'll give you uh, the two candidates that you and I talked about before I hit the record button. It's Andre Kopitar and Rasmus Kupari, and I'm going to let you go whatever way you want with it. Look, we could give Andre Kopitar a mention in this segment likely every week of the year, right? He's the best player on the team. His production this year has been excellent. He's in the top five in the NHL in points. As of when I checked last night, I didn't prep this morning. Don't think there have been any midnight games in the NHL, so I think I'm still right. But 
Kobe was the king of the week last week. Or he was the king of the week two weeks ago. I don't remember. Yeah, it was two weeks ago. Yeah. Two weeks ago. So he's been a king of the week. We're going to give Rasmus Kupari some love. Um, no offense, Kopi. He, he was very good this week. Um, but we're going to give Rasmus Kupari some love. Scored two of the prettier goals we've seen this year, for sure, um, in two very different ways. Both goals at the time, I think, were very important. The, the goal against Winnipeg ultimately in a loss, but the Kings weren't playing great to start that game. Kupari's goal kind of swung the momentum in their direction. And then the goal against Montreal was so big because the Kings, another one goal lead heading into the third period, he scores inside two minutes into the third period and really begins that, that victory because the Kings have lost a couple of those leads this year. Kupari's goal on the power play, an absolute snipe that was in the net for about 0.2 seconds before it bounced out off the back post because it was such a good shot that swung that game against Montreal firmly in the Kings favor. Kupari, a very well-deserving runner-up. PR, uh, the PR department of the LA Kings, for those who don't who aren't familiar with our shorthand, um, PR has a has a difficult job at the best of times. And one of the things I've been sort of interested in watching them handle this year is doling out media minutes to some of the younger members of the franchise who maybe aren't the strongest speakers of the English language. And I could understand that the impulse might be, let's not do that because you have the assembled media and, you know, like it's rough. It's just a tough part of the gig for, for everybody involved. Um, but one of the things that I've noticed is that Rasmus Kupari seems a lot more comfortable being, so much Ras- more comfortable. <laughs> being Rasmus Kupari yeah. in public. Um, and it's fun. hundred percent. I mean, <clears throat> you saw the, the candid answers he was giving after both games he spoke after both games this weekend Mm -hmm. and after that goal you know he was joking about how he tried that move in morning skate how he modeled it after the the winnipeg goal yeah Yeah. and then you know he called the the montreal goal i think it was the shot of his life you know it was was smiling as he was saying it like certainly more comfortable than jesse when we had him on your podcast as a 19 year old rookie in his first year here when you could tell he was extremely nervous to do it. Mm -hmm. He was comfortable in that moment over the weekend. And it's like, you see the growth on the ice and you see the growth in him just being himself, like you said, off the ice. And he was asked uh, about how he handled the surgery that Sean Walker will presumably undergo. And I, I confess I had completely forgotten that he missed all that time. Um, out with the injury at the uh, the World Juniors back in yeah. 2019, was it that he got injured? It was 2019, yeah. So I mean, he and he had a great answer um, that was both hopeful and detail oriented, and then at the end, you know, talked about I know Sean Walker's in capable hands, and hopefully he gets like it was yeah. just a, it was just a really good answer. Just it was insightful answer. too because. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't always get it was it was actually interesting because Rob Blake gave kind of an insightful answer, too, because he's had a similar injury to Sean Walker. So you don't usually get those personal firsthand perspectives, right, where you hear from someone else so close to someone who had an injury and how they handled it, how the the process went for them. And it was kind of insightful to hear that kind of feedback from different guys. Yeah, it was great. So, so uh, stick taps, I suppose, to Rasmus Kupari for being the runner-up, which brings us to this week's King of the Week, Zach. And I think I may just let Todd McClellan tell us who the King of the Week is here real quick. I think that's the way to go. He'll do better than we can. I think this guy's a tremendous player. Tremendous player. Um, everybody wants to keep taking something away from him. I don't think about any of that stuff. This guy's a good player. He slows the game down when he needs to. He's in the right spot. He speeds it up when he needs to. He can check. He comes to the bench. He, he sits down. He gathers his thoughts. He goes and does it again. Low maintenance, high production. This guy's an unreal player. Cope is also, a, in my opinion, a Hall of Fame player. And when a Hall of Fame player is asking you, hey, I wouldn't mind having this guy in my line, that's telling you something. That was Coach McClellan. Uh, saying what, Zach, you and I have been saying in the press box to one another all week long, which is that Alex Ayafalo uh, is a – I mean, he's looked great this season. Like, no beating around the bush. He's looked really, really good. Really, 
really good. And, and first, you know, in a different quote, Todd McClellan said what you've been saying for a while, which is that, you know, players like Andre Kopitar want to play with Alex Iafalo and they're not playing together this year. Um, but Alex Iafalo is now bringing another line, not to say that the other members aren't being good as well. That's been a very good line, but like Alex Iafalo is on another level here. He's almost a point per game player. He does all the little things that Todd McClellan mentioned well. You know, he's good in all three zones. He he makes things happen. He's putting the puck in the net right now. Like this guy's been so good. And I can't even mention the number of times we look at each other and it's and it's just like a an individual play. And we're like, oh, who was that? Oh, it was 19. And it's always 19. There was a, a moment in the availability there and and you i talked to carlin about this after the game and she confirmed what you said and i guess i just missed it but for i don't know at least a year i've been telling people when todd mcclellan says players ask to play with alex i follow i would follow that up with and he's played 94 percent of his even strength minutes with andre kopitar so i'll leave it up to your imagination who the players are that are asking to play with alex i follow right. you you and carlin both said that he has said it's Kopitar in the past asking to play with Alex. I follow. I, I missed that somehow. I was just, you know, one of my favorite phrases is you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. I was just sticking my head out the window and seeing if it was raining. And in fact it was, but yesterday he, I mean, he said the words, Andre Kopitar asks to play with Alex. I follow. And to his point, Andre Kopitar is a future hall of famer. Um right. The the I don't know if it matters, but Alex Iafalo passes Drew Doughty in points and Victor Arvidsson, two guys that are out of the lineup. Um, I guess we should sort of casually mention that Victor Arvidsson was placed on the COVID-19 protocol. But Alex Iafalo now second on the team in points behind Andre Kopitar, to your point, almost a point per game, eight points in nine games. Um, you heard it there. Todd said he thought he could score 25, if not 30 goals. I mean, I don't see why not. Alex Iafalo is having a heck of a season. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to see. You know, it's it's hard to believe something until someone does it. So it's like when a guy hasn't scored 25 goals, the public perception of him is that he is not capable of doing so until mm-hmm. he actually does it. And then once you do it, you're labeled as 25 goal scorer. Right, Just how, the rest how of your career. <laughs> right, it doesn't yeah. matter if you do it once or if you do it. 10 times you're labeled as that player because you did it once. Alex Hall hasn't done it yet. That doesn't mean he can't do it. People forget too. It's not like he's a 33 year old guy who's played 10 years in the league. Like he's only in what his fifth season in the NHL. It's not inconceivable to think that he's still growing and developing as a player, just because it feels like he's been around forever because of all the, the turnover around him. Um, this is a guy who has such good instincts. Like it's not, it's just not surprising to me to see him turning more of all the good things he does into offensive production with guys going to be out of the lineup. He's going to continue to get opportunities to do that. Um, I, I just don't see it being a crazy thought to be like Alex Iafala finishes this year with 25 goals. At some point, we're going to have to figure out what year he would have been drafted and because he's an undrafted college yep. free agent signing with someday we're going to have to figure it out and then compare him to his draft class and just sort out, you know, <laughs> where does he fit amongst yep. that class? So anyway, um, again, with uh, four points, a tremendous effort and tons of praise from the head coach. Congratulations to Alex. I follow this week's King of the week. All right. Now, Zach, <clears throat> There's another player that you and I keep talking about in the press box, and I want to talk about him a little bit because I went and I looked and I was just sort of poking around, nothing too you know, intense, nothing too fancy, but just sort of poking around at some numbers over the last week, four games. And in those four games, there's only five players who weren't on the ice for any goals at all. Uh, Vladimir Kachev and Sean Walker played only one game uh, and limited minutes particularly for Sean Walker, because that one game was the game where he suffered the injury. Brendan Lemieux, no goals uh, in two games this week. And and this is at any strength, incidentally. Uh, And then the other two players who were not on the ice for any goals at all in these four games was Rasmus Kupari, played 47 minutes and 48 seconds. I think that's pretty impressive out of Raz, but we've talked about him already. 
Any guesses as to who the player with 82 minutes and 46 seconds of all strength ice time with zero goals against while he was on the ice, Zach? I think I have a good idea. All right. I don't know if you already told me this. I did not. But you may have told it to me without telling me. And the sort answer of hinted, is Tobias yeah, Bjornfoot. It is Tobias Bjornfoot. Yeah. You are correct. Because yeah. you, uh, so you asked your question yesterday of the, the pairing of mm-hmm. Anderson Bjornfoot has not allowed a goal together. Right. Which is obviously accurate if it's just Bjornfoot himself. <laughs> right. And that left it down to two. And uh, I was going to go with Toby, not to say that it felt like Mikey was on the ice for uh, several goals, but I do know he was he on was the not. ice for one in St. Louis. Yep. Um, but since that, I don't believe he's been on the ice for one either. Yeah, that's right. Um, but Tobias Bjornfoot, uh, at both ends of the ice, uh, I think I said it on Twitter, like, he's not messing. I don't think he's messing around anymore, Zach. He he appears to be much closer to the player that I think we everybody hoped he would be mm-hmm. than he was maybe even in training camp, but certainly at the end of last year. You know what he looked like is the player that we saw in the 1920 season in Ontario, because that was a guy at 18 years old who this guy has offensive instincts. Mm. I'm not saying he's going to be a 40 point guy. He's not going to be an offensive first guy, but like Toby was on the power play for that Ontario team. Toby jumped into the play on that Ontario team. He moved pucks. Well, he skated well on that Ontario team and he was 18 coming into that league last year in the NHL, he certainly was more reserved. He was more defensively focused and you saw it probably until this week, this year as well, where he wasn't necessarily saw spurts, but really not until this week. Did you see him like making that jump? And what I love from yesterday's post-game media was that we had Toby and we had Todd McClellan. Toby said, you know, the coaches told me, we want you to be more of an offensive threat. And then Todd McClellan was asked and he said, Trent Yanni told him directly, be more aggressive. So you hear it from both sides. You saw what the result was, which was, you know, two assists. You saw it on that goal from my follow yesterday. Like you probably don't see that poise from Bjorn foot last year. You don't see him take that extra step to outweigh the defenseman use his skating to draw some space on the outside and then make the pass to the middle. It's probably like a quick shot or like a, a quick pass to the middle. He was clearly more confident and more comfortable. And man, was that, are we seeing like what we think he can kind of become? Like we really saw it this weekend. If we were doing play of the game, player of the game for the Buffalo game, um, I would have named him player of the game. Me too. Because, because I don't know. I'm not sure which play was more impressive. The assist to to I follow, right? Where he brings the puck into the zone, mm. patience, carries it through, you know, straight through the the high slot, pulls yeah. to the left, to, takes a defender with him, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Or the block he made yeah. um, to set up the Grunstrom goal because the block, it was a great block, it was fine, but he didn't lose possession of the puck while he blocked it. And I don't know how much of that he had any control over, but regardless, at the very least, he had the presence of mind to know that he had made the block, know that the puck was at his feet and know that it had to start moving up the ice. And he right. did it in less than a second. Mm-hmm. Didn't take time to gather himself or to figure out what was going on. It just happened. Um, I missed it in the moment. It was only on the replay that I saw. Oh my God, that was an incredible play from Tobias Bjornfoot. Um, but that, but I, I double right back to the pass he made to Alex Iafala. Just an incredible play in the offensive zone. I mean, I, I don't know which moment I was more impressed with Tobias Bjornfoot. Yeah. And it's funny because he was given the third star on Saturday. <laughs> That's right. he, he played well noticeably, right. but had no points. Yeah. And then had two points on Sunday and was not one of the three stars, ironically enough. Um, but the Kings need somebody to be doing this, right? Like they need <clears throat> someone from a group of say d- more defensively minded guys, as Todd has said a few times, to step up into that role like Kale Clegg being inserted certainly helps. He's looked good and he brings those qualities, but having Toby doing those things as well is going to be really important as the Kings look to replace some of that offensive firepower and production that, that Walker and Dowdy had. Yeah. It, there's just sometimes games that come along where it, it wasn't even, you know, listen, it was what it was a four, two win or three, two it wasn't even four, two it was three, mm-hmm. two win over the Sabres. Um, if you had told me at the at the beginning of the season, an October 31st win over Buffalo 
Buffalo mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to bring the record. Yeah, that's a five, two and one Buffalo Sabres. But I certainly would not have expected that. Right. No, with, no. With I got out of the lineup. I would have thought I would have looked at the schedule and I would have said, OK, well, that's a, in fact, I did look at the schedule at the beginning of the season. And if I was doing my sort of how should they win, should they lose math? Buffalo was a win. Right. An easy win, but going into that game, I was like, oh, I don't, you know, uh, you know, a friend of mine after the game told me that I guess the Kings were slight favorites in in uh, you know, were you to wager on the game, and it didn't make any sense to me. I, I would have thought the five one or I guess five two and one Buffalo Sabers at this point second place in the Atlantic Division. I would have thought they would have been favored, but looking at the schedule, I would have looked in Vegas, Minnesota, Dallas, St. Louis, St. Louis, Winnipeg. St. Louis, I'd have said, all right, well, those might be losses, but Nashville, Montreal, and Buffalo, those might be wins. Now, at the end of the month, the record is about what I expected it to be. It just didn't break the way I, it, precisely the way I thought it did. And I really believe, although I think Todd McClellan talked about this as well, talked about how well they played in the Dallas game um, and even the Nashville game, I mean, I honestly think they're getting better as the month has gone along. What's interesting is, you know, you could easily, easily imagine a scenario where the Nashville game or the Dallas game or even the Winnipeg game was a win. Mm-hmm. And if just one of those was a win, there's no negative perception whatsoever at four, four and one. Right. It's just the fact that it's three, five and one where you lost probably all three, four of your toss up games. Well, not all of them, because you could probably say Buffalo was one too, but you lose more of the toss-up games than you win, and it's below 500. It's not a 500 team. And just one of those games, and the Dallas game the most likely, but either of the ones you mentioned also could have been there. Like It's just a totally different perception of things if it's 4-4-1 versus 3-5-1. Yeah, and, you know, listen, losing – Dowdy in the middle of a loss and then losing Walker in the middle of a loss, that's going to, that's going to, you know, hypercharge uh, those losses in your mind. For sure. And, and, you know, one of the things I frequently say is that like, to me, seasons become chapters and within each season, each game becomes a chapter and each chapter colors the one before it. Right. So the Buffalo win makes the Montreal win look even better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the three nothing loss to St. Louis makes the blowout loss to St. Louis look worse. Right. Um, so but we also always say happiness is measured by expectations. And if I have to take the month of October on the whole, like I said, looking at the re- looking at the schedule before this season started. I think I probably would have said that they could play really well, go three and six, and I wouldn't have been surprised. And it wouldn't have been a commentary on how well they played. It was just looking at the schedule and saying, where is this team? Who is this team? What am I expecting? So three, five, and one with the emergence of Rasmus Kupari, Arthur Kaliev, Tobias Bjornfoot, um, somebody that you and I both know jokingly reached out to me and said, you know, has your twisted Kings fan brain begun making the argument that, you know, they won't miss Drew and Sean yet because the defense plays well. I said, I'm not, I'm not that far gone, right? They will miss Sean Walker and Drew Dowdy. They can and they have, right? They, yeah, they, exactly. they will, they will miss them and they have missed them. Yeah. But Mikey Anderson and Tobias Bjornfoot appear to be a really solid pairing. And as I mentioned to Tom McClellan, that's the youngest defensive pairing on the team. I don't know that it's the youngest pairing in the league. It might not be, but it's got to be one of them. I'm sure it is. It's close. So uh, this is a, this is just a, an episode of unbridled optimism, Zach. I'm just feeling real good, real good about back-to-back wins against uh, East Eastern conference opponents, which is where, I mean, it's a shame they didn't pick up, you know, those, those extra points that the, their opponents didn't pick up uh, aren't stolen from Western conference teams. And that's a shame, but um to steal a trick from uh from the optimist playbook the king's currently one spot at one point out of a playoff spot excuse me um it's a <laughs> that's the the beauty of stats right you could if your only set if your only thing was at the end of october the kings would be one point out of a playoff spot right everyone would be like oh we're right there right like there would be no questions whatsoever it's all how you use the stats and how you phrase them you could 
make several stats in a vacuum that said everyone's thrilled with the month and you could find right. several others where they people would be all riled up. So it's, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're right where you need to be, you know, maybe not the path that you expected to get there. Um, but <clears throat> at the end of the day, they're right where they need to be at the end of October with two more home games coming up. That's right. And three, five and one is exponentially better than one, seven and one, which yes. is what we're staring at. If they yeah. had not won. Now we're going to take a brief look ahead, Zach. And I'm, I don't know that we're going to do this all the time, but Wednesday represents an interesting opportunity that, that really is on the table because of the wins against Montreal and Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they lost two games in a row to St. Louis in St. Louis. It's the third and final matchup between the Kings and the Blues this year. St. Louis is a really good team. I think surprisingly better than, than I expected, certainly. They're currently 6-1-0, and they're scoring an ungodly amount of goals. I don't have the number mm-hmm. pulled up directly in front of me, but I believe they are leading the league um, in goals, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to vamp here for a second while I just verify that. Uh, goals four per game for St. Louis is 4.14. The Carolina Hurricanes at 4.13. Those are your two league leaders in goals per game. St. Louis has only played seven games and Carolina has played eight. So if the Kings find a way to beat St. Louis, Mm -hmm. that is an opportunity, I think, to plant an entirely different flag straight in the middle of the conversation about who are the Kings and how is their season going goes excuse me how's their season going if they lose it's st louis st louis is very very good they've already lost to them twice and you never have to play them again Mm -hmm. um but if they win or if they somehow you know lose an overtime or a shootout it's an i like i said i just think it's an opportunity to send a really strong message not only to the rest of the league and to the rest of the division but more importantly in the spirit of ted lasso to themselves yeah it's interesting because when they played um Obviously, that that first game in St. Louis was was what it was. It was an obvious loss. Mm-hmm. Entering the second game in St. Louis, it was like, what can we prove to ourselves about how we can bounce back from getting you know pumped the night before? This time, it's kind of like, okay, what can we prove to ourselves about can we match this team stride for stride coming off of our best weekend of the season after the last time was kind of coming off of our worst game of the season? So it's certainly interesting. You know, the Blues will if my math is right, be without Ryan O'Reilly, um, who is their number one center due to COVID protocol. Um, so that's certainly an opportunity. But what I realized about St. Louis is this is such a deep team. Like they looked three, four lines deep without Brandon Saad and without Pavel Buchnevich. And then those guys came back and it was like, man, they have guys sitting out who are like good NHL players. Like Kyle Clifford wasn't even in the, in the lineup the second night. And he's like a very good fourth line player. So they're a very deep team. They can overcome losing guys here and there because they have, you know, proven NHL veterans who aren't even in the top 12 each and every night. So this is certainly, as you said, like a really good measuring stick here for the Kings. And, you know, I, I wasn't even thinking about this when I brought it up, but you mentioned all the players that might be out for St. Louis the Kings will presumably be without Victor Arvidsson, who's mm-hmm. placed on COVID protocols. It's the second time we've sort of danced around it without <laughs> dressing it head on. Yeah. Um, and while I wouldn't expect them to make any lineup changes, um, Gabe Velarde, not an option. And so right. who knows? Well, maybe, and maybe what we can say about that too is like, we don't know exactly at this time what their status is. Correct. So we are, you say, dancing around it and we kind of are, but it's not to not talk about it. It's because mm-hmm. at this point, we don't have the proper information that we would have in advance of that game. When like, we'll know by Wednesday what their status is, but as of this recording Monday morning, we don't know due to, you know, how the protocol works. The time Mm -hmm. hasn't happened yet for, to where we could actually know, like, here's what their status is. Yeah. But, but just to throw it out there, like that win against Buffalo, just to, you know, continue the era of unbridled optimism, they find out, in warmups or, or mm-hmm. just at the completion of warmups that Victor Arvidsson will not be in the lineup. And so right. it's another player that they had factored into their plans who was yanked away on a, you know, on a moment's notice. And so, right. like I said, not only are they playing better um, as this, as the month 
got older, but I just feel like they are proving they're proving that they can handle the the pitfalls that life will throw at you. And whatever it was three seasons ago, um, the 2018-19 season, I feel like this is the opposite of that. I felt like every time they hit a, a pothole that season, the wheel fell off and they crashed into the side of the road, right? They couldn't get any momentum. If a player got hurt, that was at the end of everything. Um, we saw it a little bit last year when Walker and, and Roy went down. It didn't seem to derail them too much. Mm-hmm. Um, they came back and they and they thrived. But this season, they they seem to be rolling with the punches. Um, and, and it's all encouraging. So I'm really looking forward uh, to the game against St. Louis. And then after that, they have a game against New Jersey to close out the homestand. New Jersey's another team that sort of their record is a little bit better than I would have expected. Now it is mm-hmm. incredibly, incredibly early as always. Um, but four, two and one, it's just better than I would have thought from New Jersey. But uh, Zach, let's, I mean, let's keep it rolling, right? Let's pick up another two wins. <laughs> let's get yeah. to 500. <laughs> I think if you, <clears throat> I think you win one of those games and you're happy with the homestand, right? You look at this homestand without Dowdy Walker, potentially without Arvidsson for more than half of it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go three and two, that's a good way to kind of get back to right the ship, right? Like coming in, you know, with one win, it was obviously very dicey waters. If you can get three wins from this homestand, they've already got two. You've righted the ship. You're kind of back to back to level pegging. And then you go from there. Can you, you know, find some momentum, keep some things going without these guys in the lineup, keep your team in a place where you need to be for when you get these guys back that you can kind of hit the ground running. Yeah. And uh, before I let you go, actually, um, favorite Halloween, well, favorite Halloween candy, they're all just candies. But uh, sure. if you were doing what I was doing, which is sitting on the porch, handing out candy last night and you were letting your fingers drift through the uh, the bowl of candy, pulling out the occasional piece here and there and putting it off to the side for yourself. What's top of the list for you? What finds its way out so, of the bowl into your pocket most often? You get trick-or-treaters. Because oh, yeah, a lot. My wife is so sad that we oh. have not gotten a single <laughs> trick-or-treater in our entire time living in this state. Really? Yep. I've, and we, we buy the candy every year, get our hopes up, hmm. and we have yet to get a single trick-or-treater um actually funny story from yesterday is knowing that we had not gotten a single trick-or-treater a friend of ours um um who is a woman around our age Mm -hmm. but is smaller dressed up in a costume came to the door and said trick-or-treat my wife got very excited that we had a (laughs) trick-or-treater then she came back later and told her told us it was her so we did not actually have (laughs) a trick-or-treater but so but it was a really good laugh so we've not had a trick-or-treater ever, which is really disappointing. Mm-hmm. But to answer the question, every year I buy Skittles because I love Skittles all and right. I know that I'll eat all of the Skittles. Um, but when I was a kid, I loved getting um, milk duds. Oh, oh, oh. Milk duds are delicious. Oh, if you uh, say so. No? All right. Well, I'll take I'm, all your milk duds and I'll, yeah, I'll find you some other means. candy. We'll do a trade. <laughs> you, you would be an ideal trading partner for me because That's, you could have all my milk duds, all my whoppers, all my good and plenties. What's <laughs> interesting is I don't like the other two, but well, I like nobody does. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then um, Twix bars. Okay. Twix, bars Tw- are Twix or solids. We, uh, yeah. my, so I uh, love getting trick or treaters and the, the trick I've uh, used, and you're welcome to join me next year if you want, but I just go to my friend's neighborhood. Um, which is a great trick-or-treating neighborhood. And I just sit on his porch while he takes his four kids around the neighborhood. Um, I guard the house. But but I ordinarily would pull Reese's peanut butter cups. But last night I found myself grabbing Kit Kats. Don't know why, but. Also good. I mean, there are a lot of can't. It's hard to go wrong. (laughs) A lot of can't go wrong. Exactly. Um, So maybe, maybe it's, uh, I don't, I don't know. You know, we're, I, like obviously went trick-or-treating every single year when i was a kid Mm -hmm. and like i was i thought yesterday was the perfect storm it was a sunday afternoon uh by the time we got home from the king game for me it was you know 5 30 or so we were like out prime trick-or-treating time and not one not one i had not intended to talk about this this long but now that we're into it we're going for it um i uh in the past have instituted a few rules when i hand out candy and last night i i 
built them out a little bit more. If a kid is dressed like Batman, he's got to mm-hmm. say in his best Batman voice, I'm Batman. Um, Extremely if, deep. If a kid is Spider-Man, he's got to make, a, no, nobody can see this, but Zach can see this. He's got to make the Spider-Man web hands where you okay. put your two middle fingers to your palm and they have to say twip twip. Um, if they're the Hulk, <laughs> they have to say Hulk smash. If they're a big clown, they have to laugh. Um, and uh, if they're one of the characters from Frozen or Toy Story, uh, I bring out my phone and play one of the songs from the movie and they have to sing. And uh, most of the kids are actually super into it. There was a, a brother and sister duo that came up. The boy was dressed as uh, the Mandalorian. Well, he was actually he was dressed as Boba Fett, but he insisted he was the Mandalorian. And who am I to argue with a small child right. on, on Halloween? And his sister was dressed as Elsa from Frozen. And I said, well, I made the Boba Fett say this is the way. It's the catchphrase from the Mandalorian. Right. And, uh, and, and I said, uh, you know, it's based on, I'm not, don't make every kid if they're too little and not going to make them perform, but they were just old enough. And, and the girl said, okay, I'll sing, I'll do it. I'll do it. But she was very nervous. And, uh, the music started playing and, and she was very hesitant and her little brother came over in his Boba Fett costume, threw his arm around her shoulder and said, you got this Elsa. And then mm-hmm. the, both of them sang, uh, let it go, uh, with me. Um, and they got a bunch of extra candy for it. That's the catch is that so so everybody gets things, candy, but you better get extra candy for oh, doing them for sure. Cause if they weren't, I mean, I would TP your house. If I was those kids, <laughs> I think that would be the house I'd target. Yeah. There. We're coming back later with TP and, and, and everybody gets town. candy. Everybody gets candy to be clear. The rule isn't that you don't get any candy. The rule is if you want extra candy, you've got to perform for it. And, and like <laughs> I said, most kids are, perfectly happy and willing yeah. to uh, to perform their character to get some extra candy so anyway just a little peek into why i love halloween and how much i torment the neighbors like i said you're more you and your wife are more than welcome to come down to long beach with me next year and uh and enjoy plenty of trick-or-treaters in somebody else's neighborhood I, was it the thing when you were growing up i keep not ending this conversation was it a thing uh in your neighborhood growing up that people would would travel en masse to other neighborhoods um meaning what do you mean unmasked like, so like vans will pull up in my friend's neighborhood and eight kids will pile out and they'll hit that neighborhood for a few hours and then they'll leave and go to a different neighborhood. We would do like our own neighborhood. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we would do my, my grandma's neighborhood. Sometimes we would do like, there was like a local college that it was a thing where all the dorm rooms had. So we would do different places, but we wouldn't just go to random neighborhoods, but we would do multiple neighborhoods um, that we had family or like events in it's a double-edged sword i know it bothers a lot of people that and i think it happens a lot in southern california there are there are good neighborhoods right where everybody's house has the decorations and candy Mm -hmm. and it's a huge that's like my friend's neighborhood it's the whole neighborhood gets into it whereas my neighborhood it's very subdued and low-key and i can see there's three or four houses in my immediate area that are trying, they're trying real hard. <laughs> they spend yeah. a lot of time and energy. And I, I confess I'm not here. So I don't know how the neighborhood is. And part of me feels bad that I'm like letting my neighborhood Abandoning down to, your go, own neighborhood. to go play yeah. in the better neighborhood. But I don't know. I, I like it. Anyway, we are going to wrap it up there. Uh, apologies for the diversion, but Zach, thank you very much for joining me and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds like a plan. 